podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is supported by SafeBand. SafeBand is the indigo silicon wristband that lets people know that you, or a member of your family, has been vaccinated to protect them from COVID-19. And with every SafeBand that's ordered by you, or people like you, we donate one to a frontline key worker or vulnerable member of the community. Slowly, life will return to how it once was. Until then, we're determined to get things back to normal for those who've taken the first step. Find out more by clicking the link in the description or visiting safeband.me. Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig and I am joined by Paul Doolan. Hello. And Dave Watson. Hello, Fergus. Hello, Paul. Hi guys, how are you going? How are you doing? How are you how are you going, guys? <laughs> yeah, no, not too bad. You know, just started with how are you going. I've never said how are you going. Um, it's a good look. It's, it's been quite a tense lead up to this podcast, hasn't it? Because Paul, you were having uh, technical issues, big time, and uh, my, I was having uh, family issues because my son didn't want to go to sleep. Only literally five minutes ago, I was singing A, B, C, D, E, F, Poo, H, I, J. That was the only way to agree to go to sleep, as if I sang him the ABCs with uh, certain letters replaced with poo. Wow. It worked. Uh, yeah. Fast asleep. Asleep. That was five minutes ago. You're fast asleep. I, I think a better way of getting to sleep at the minute is watching any Newcastle United game. Am I right? Fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks. We've trampled, I mean, that leads us straight into the football. We've trampled over what I think Dave was about to tell us in Sorry, Dave. Is it is no. it good enough? No, 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 no. no. Oh, okay. no, no fine. Something I mean, else. I'm immune. Some... Okay, fine. fine. Something else that isn't good enough. I'll try. <laughs> is <laughs> is uh, Newcastle United Football Club right? As things stand uh, since the last podcast. We, after the last podcast, we had had a very disappointing result against West Brom. West Brom. West Brom. That felt like a must-win game. If not must-win, then you're sort of wondering if we're not going to beat West Brom at home, where are we going to get the points? And then uh, we played Villa on Friday night. Uh, how did you feel that game went, Dave? Well, I think, given the context of the, the the personnel available and given the context of the game and how it played out, I actually think point was a decent result. Like, it was 1-1's a better result than 0-0 would have been, if that makes sense, because neither team played particularly well, neither team created anything consistently well um it was a bit of a war of attrition really but we had some good performances in there i thought dummett played well i thought hayden and willett were okay i thought joe linton was not good in an attacking sense but he, he put in a good shift and he was useful which hasn't always been the case and for us to go down to i mean it was really their only big chance that 
that ended up in a goal and it was an own goal. So there's an element of good fortune on their part. But for us to drag ourselves back in to, to snatch a point, I think I think it's a good in the context of everything else, I think it was a good like final result. Uh I don't know where this podcast is gonna go now because a, a, a major dynamic has changed. It feels like ever since we've really, really got into relegation trouble, ever since we've gone into this uh, terrible run of form that we're on, I mean, you can call the whole season that, but, you know, we haven't won in a long time, to be fair. We haven't lost in three games. Um, but, Dave, we can usually rely on you to be the voice of... Uh, hysterical Newcastle fans <laughs> well I think I think with had, an unrelenting thing of negativity had, yeah I mean I'm inclined to agree with you had we um, had we played as badly as we did in the West Brom game against Villa I would be upset and had we lost the game in any shape or form I would have been upset but to be honest, like we didn't have Almiron, we didn't have Anson Maxwell, we didn't have Callum Wilson. Um, I was a little bit annoyed about the selection, um, but speaking th- speaking of the selection, yeah, uh, go on. Paul uh, Dwight Gale got a start. Yeah, in his a position, I think we were all expecting him to start in left wing. Left wing. <laughs> Yes, I, I think. Can I inject negativity in return? I think the worst and positives: the fact that when we went a goal down, we actually looked capable of scoring. We made a go of it, and Dummett did play well. But that system we said wouldn't work with those players. It's bad enough picking a system that you don't have the personnel for, but then playing so many players out of position. Gale on the left wing. We had uh, Ryan Fraser as a false nine, who is one of the best crossers of the ball, certainly the best crosser of the ball we've got in our team. You just say, how do you get that so fundamentally wrong? I thought Hayden had a pretty poor game. I think there's a weird... I don't know why he's not playing at the base of our midfield. We've got Shelby playing basically as a third centre-back. We've got Hayden, who anytime he gets like near their box, gets a nosebleed, doesn't know what to do. Willock was okay. But you just think Villa looked really poor. They didn't have Grealish. And I don't feel like Bruce or the team seem to realise how in danger of relegation we are. Because the West Brom game and the Villa game are probably our most winnable games, apart from Sheffield United. And they were... I mean, anything I mean, they was there for the taking, but they really were, and we just didn't. It was baffling. I'm inclined to agree with both of you in different ways. Hayden did have not a great game; that uh, seemed to give the ball away quite a lot. Definitely, the most inexplicable, possibly the most inexplicable decision of the season was to give Gale a start and put him out on the left. I'd, I, I. Dave's got something to say about that. He's about to pull out a list of inexplicable decisions. <laughs> <laughs> no, all I was going to say is that I don't. I think there has been a lot of focus on um, where Gale and Joe Linton were playing and, and Fraser, but I don't think Fraser was playing as the false nine. I think 
actually it was set up as almost split strikers with Gale further yeah, to the left. Can I and just, ju- yeah, I know, but this is a you call it's called split strikers. This is what Bruce keeps on doing, but like fundamentals keeps on saying, but fundamentally, just because they've got the word striker in their name, if if they you put them on the pitch and Gale is out on the left and clearly does not feel comfortable there. I don't have, I personally, I don't have a big issue with the formation. Would it be exactly the right formation for the players that we have? I don't know, but I think ever since we've been playing this formation, it's not like things have been anywhere close to good, but there's been a bit more dynamism and, and, it, it's felt like we've got a bit more going on on the pitch going forward. And, um, but, uh, yes, players aren't in the ideal positions. I could, I completely agree with the case that Fraser is a good crosser of the ball and that's not what you want him. But my, I'm guessing the logic behind Fraser playing there is that he's quite rapid and can sort of like, Harry, is that the word? Is that the word? Harry, he can sort of like around players in the way that Almiron does. I think it's a bit um, more stupid than that. I think they've just gone. Almiron works in that position, and he's fast. Fraser's fast. Let's put him in there. Well, that, yeah, but I, I, I think that is what they thought. But I think that I can see the logic behind that. And Fraser does sort of like scamper around players in that Almiron way. He can do that. It's not uh, none of this is ideal. There are no ideal scenarios and I know you desperately want four two three one as a formation but like we've played a lot of formations and every time we change things things go wrong I feel like basically for me the most inexplicable thing is putting Gale out on the left but just because I mean they realized at half time that it didn't work anyway yeah. because they switched them but but I even would've... when they switched Gale to the middle he was still like he'd still be at the edge of our penalty area at some moves. He needs to be up as a lone striker or up with someone like Andy Carroll. Hmm. These are not difficult things to get right. I don't think the formation is totally to blame, but I think the formation is getting a lot of credit for... We changed formation at the time we started attacking more and pressing. We weren't pressing because of the formation. We were pressing because we were playing a more attacking style. And I think we could do that in several other formations. You can do that with five at the back, but we, whenever we mm. played five at the back this season, we chose to just park the bus. Maybe. You might be totally right, but you know, I, I feel like the two are linked. But yeah, I don't think that, that, that you know, there's no reason that changing the formation might not make things better, but I don't think there are any like magic solutions. My well, big playing, thing, my huge, my huge thing, my, my huge, huge thing is one, putting Gale out on the left didn't work. And if you're putting Gale out on the left, what you're the player that you're not putting out on the left is Jacob Murphy, yeah. who as soon as, and I know he could have played it right back as well, but as soon as he came on, when this went, once we were down uh, a goal, I mean, when did he get he only came he, on with about 10 minutes to go right he hit the bar before their goal as well oh it was a sweetly hit strike yeah. as well but as soon as he came on he did what he's done all season when he gets any minutes 
he suddenly makes things happen. And to be honest, that strike where he hit the bar, he deserves a lot of credit for making it happen. But I mean, I think it looked good, but I think he should have put it away, actually. Yeah. Where it was. But I, I think, think it's very well. apt. Hang on. I think it's very apt that we're talking about on, on St. Patrick's Day a, a Murphy hitting the bar. I think that's that's for Apposite. Oh, fantastic. Oh, that's Dave. just fantastic. Love Dave. It. I love it. Lovely stuff. Absolutely love that. I, 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 I raise my I'm gonna I'm gonna tip my Guinness hat to that joke. I am actually genuinely drinking a pint of Guinness. Ooh. From a can. Is there anything cooler? I think as well. The problem is Joe Linton sort of had a good game, but there's no point an attacking player like him having a good game if he can't shoot or pass when he gets anywhere near their goal. It's, it's almost trolling watching him play. But I think I what, he did, have what he did do instead of him. What he did do is relieve a lot of the pressure, and he was very good at um, not holding the ball up in a traditional target man sense, but but receiving the ball under pressure. And he he did find players not with an assist or a key pass or a through ball or something like that, but he just he he relieved some of that pressure and allowed us to turn a defence into attack. I think Joe Joe Linton in a weird way is is on is I mean this says a lot, but I, I think he's on his best period of form that he's been on yeah. with the club, right? He does a lot of every game he does a lot of good things that show you why not why he's a forty million pound player, but show you why he like a Premier League club decided to put him in their squad, right? It shows you that he has some abilities, but he is possibly the biggest villain in the the thing that we keep on doing in recent games is we keep on doing some reasonably good things, particularly in the first third of games, where we managed to get ourselves into the final third and create opportunities to create opportunities. This is what yeah. I keep, we keep we get into moments where we're like three against three or whatever, and we should make something happen. And everyone, but particularly Joe Linton, like you say, can never quite get that final pass. Never have the bollocks to shoot when he should be shooting. Can can never get it right and. Somebody up there has to be doing that, and we're in a really bad situation in terms of injuries. But please, Jacob Murphy. <laughs> I think if he hadn't cost forty million pounds, then Murphy, Richie, Atsu, even Elliot would get in ahead of him. Elliot Anderson, even Rob Elliot actually, <laughs> even though he doesn't play for us. <laughs> I think. It's, like Joe Linton definitely had one of his better games for us on Friday, but it's also a mm. performance any attacker should be really disappointed with. If we had brought Joe Linton in in a Daryl Murphy style deal from Ipswich, yeah, then he might be quite liked by fans. Yeah, that's about the level he is, right? Yeah, he's sort of. Daryl Murphy. Well, sort of Obertan as well, in terms of like one good thing every few games. But well, Obertan was quite hated by fans, wasn't it? So, <laughs> so is Joel Linton, to be fair. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying um, 
but yeah, it's it is very frustrating, and I do agree that it does feel like um, the management, at least publicly, are, are are not showing any awareness of the the situation. Of how no, we feel, we feel very reactive, both. Mm. Like in planning for games and in games, like we only really have a go at Villa when we're one nil down. Yeah, and they look... and, and if you if you stack them up, if you look at the West Brom game, the Sheffield United game, those were um, opportunities to get. Well, I w- I would say like certainly the Sheffield and the West Brom game were opportunities to get six points. If we were six points better off now. I don't think we'd be part of the relegation conversation. No, but we're now favourites to go down out of us, Fulham and Brighton. Brighton, which I don't really get because we have more points than Brighton. And I think that... I think it might be to do with form, Dave. (laughs) But then Brighton aren't in great form. Brighton aren't. I mean, I know they beat Southampton um, and we can talk about the Brighton game in, in more depth after the break or anything, but like they beat Southampton and now people are saying, oh, well, they're in... But Southampton are in absolutely turgid form. They've won one in 12 and that one was against Sheffield United. So beating Southampton, it's not a sign of like suddenly Brighton have... have got it worked out and they're going to go on and, and, and go on a run it, it's Southampton like even we beat fucking Southampton that's how bad Southampton are like that's how bad the form is for Southampton at the minute so I know that the the, um, the percentage chance of staying up um, as worked out by like um, 538 and all the rest of them it's based on performance metrics like XG, like shots on target, goals conceded and stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is, aside from the Southampton game, Brighton have really struggled to put the ball in the back of the net and they've got us next. But after us, they've, they've got a run of pretty difficult games. They're not, you know, it's... Dave, I think who, if are, we who beat, are you? <laughs> if we beat Brighton, genuinely, if we beat Brighton, I would expect those um, those percentages to flip. I, d- I yeah. I mean, it would, that would be an enormous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not just five thirty-eight. It's the bookies as well have us favourites to go down out of those three. Considering Fulham are below us and we have a game in hand over them, mm. that feels like. But, um, I mean, I'd, I'd take less of an interest in what the bookies are. are um, putting as favourites or not, because they're as likely to um, reflect what the market is is doing. Like loads of people will put money on Newcastle to be to go down and I think not in, I don't will... think the relegation markets attract enough money for it to change the book. I think, this sort of stage I think every season. every market No, they they balance it off what people bet, but it's not like everyone's gonna be lumping money on it. It will be broadly worked out based on whatever metrics they use it takes a lot of money being lumped on things for them to start changing the odds that much whatever's going to happen we're going to we're going to find out yeah uh, over the course of the next few weeks who knows but i am stunned 
beyond belief by the turnaround in um, Dave's attitude. I just want to know. It's I just want to know. Are you using a new moisturizer? What's going on? Have you started? Have you changed your diet? What I mean? I, I've, are you, are I've you having consistent. an affair, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> I've been consistent throughout the the at the beginning of the season. I was bitching about the performances and saying that they're terrible and we need to improve the performances or we'll be in real trouble. And for all West Brom was disappointing, we were defensively fairly solid. We weren't at the beginning of the season. Against Aston Villa, again, not great, but much better than the the start of the season. I still think Newcastle United, certainly with the the prospect of the, the big three players coming back to fitness. Um, Callum Wilson's back in training. There's reports that Almiron's closer to return than, than expected. If these, if we can get them back into the, into the team fairly soon, like maybe the Spurs game, which is after the international break, I think we're a much better outfit than we were prior to the Leeds game. <coughs> Jones. Okay. Um, well, let's uh, let's have a break, and then after the break, uh, we'll go to social media. I'm sure we will continue on our relegation prospects. I'm sure we'll talk about the upcoming Brighton game, and uh, I'm sure we'll have a word about Glenn Roder as well, who passed away since the last part. So um, let's have a break. Bye. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back to the Newcastle Nuts. Um, before we go on, I, I think we should talk a little bit about Glen Roder. Because he seems he did pass away sadly in the last week, at the age of sixty-five, and I feel like sometimes he's forgotten about in terms of Newcastle, and he was a fairly big deal. I know none of us saw him play, or at least probably don't remember him playing. He did play nearly 200 times for us in the 80s and he was captain of the club and played with Gaza and, and Waddle, I think. And uh, I know Paul Gascoigne talked about him a lot in his autobiography, which I read. And uh, and then he ended up managing it, managing us for a season and did, he did pretty well. It was, it was never yeah. looked on as a... At the time, it didn't feel good. I know when he when he first took over, 
he got us to seventh. He took over as caretaker manager and got us to seventh, and that was considered good. But then the next season, we finished mid-table, but because we were a different club back then, it was considered bad. But I think he was always pretty well-liked. I think um, the form in that first season, when between him taking over and the end of that season, we were in unbelievable form. I can't remember. Who did he take over from? Who was sacked? Now, Sunas, Sunas, wasn't it? I was going to say, yeah, did he come straight after Sunas? And I think around that time, we had quite a lot of problems with our squad. Yeah, we had a pretty toxic dressing room. And we had I think no we had money. A dodgy dressing room with a lot of sort of baggage, players on big contracts who weren't great influences. And um, and he was sort of came in as a nice guy and probably didn't have the clout to get rid of players. And that's probably what Allardyce was, because Allardyce took over and I think he was brought in to do that, or at least he had the clout to, because I remember as soon as Allardyce came in, that's when players like Bramble and stuff were all off. We suddenly shared about 10 players from the squad. But, um, yeah, I mean... I mean, the thing the thing that sticks in my mind about Glenn Roder is not actually anything that he did for us. It was when Gaza went abroad. Um, Roder went with him to, to like help him settle in and help him almost be like a minder and stuff. And, like... It speaks to the character of the man that, like, that Gascoigne still speaks so highly of him. Um, I think that every time I saw him interviewed before and after managing us, he always came across as a really, really good, to use a cliche, a really good football man. And like you say, that those that season and a bit, well, just on, uh, however long he was managing for us, like officially, I think he had he comported himself really well and yeah we played some good stuff under Rhoda and it didn't work out but the the way that he played as as a centre back um I've seen people describe him as ahead of his time. You know, he was he was comfortable on the ball. He was he was classy in, as as, as they describe it back then. That's what they say, isn't it? But just I just thought we should have a word about him. And I thought that I think he's you've got Managers, just from outside as a fan, without knowing the actual people, all that much about tactics, you've got, uh, if you put managers into different categories, he is in the mould of, I put him in the same category as Chris Hewton, someone who was very nice and didn't talk that big a game about himself. And if he had a bigger ego on him, might have had a more successful career as a manager, but yeah, he gets talked about far less than sort of Allardyce or Kinnear or Sunes as managers for us, which is he sure. does go missing just because he was in the middle of such a chaotic period. But I would, I would take the level of failure we had under Glenn Roder over the level of success we've had over all our recent managers. Absolutely, like he probably mid- had a better squad failure. to work. Yeah, he probably had a better squad to work with, but I, I don't think he did a bad job. And he also did it all with dignity and all of that. So um just thought I'd say a word about him. So uh, shall I go in on social media now before? Um, yeah. Brighton. 
Uh, I haven't prepared this, but here we shocker. But uh, here we go. Let me go straight in and um, just hope that I don't accidentally uh, read out any far far right ideology. Um, uh, here we go. Uh, we'll start with uh, uh, this one is from Matthew Lawson. He says, "Where do you think we'll finish in the championship next season if the management management isn't addressed in time?" So. Let's interpret that as a question about. Uh, we all agree there's there's a fairly strong chance we'll go down. Let's assume that we will. What do we think our prospects are if we do? That's how I interpret his question. If if Bruce stays and we and he, if Bruce stays, I reckon we'll get around about the playoffs. But we won't come back up. Okay, that's found that that's a that sounds like a credible proposition to me, Paul. I think top two. I think we've top done two. it. We've done it before with squads. I mean, this squad at the moment is sort of a better suited squad for the championship than either of the ones last time we went down, and the spirit still seems to be there. The dressing room still seems largely together. That's a, um, I agree with that, but there's a, it's one way of interpreting that would be that better suited to the championship would suggest worse players. <laughs> that's, that's another way. Of well, no, it. I mean, I think we'd have a core that would be really strong in the championship. Lascelles would possibly go, but I could see him staying. You look at like Kieran Clark, Matt Ritchie. I don't think anyone's going to buy Shelby, Hayden, possibly Dwight Gale. I, I don't know. Sure, I, all those players are a bit older than the last time they played in the championship. They're, yeah. I mean, Dwight, Dwight Gale. Next yeah, but then you've got the Longstaff brothers as well. There's a lot of, I think we'd have a good mix of experience and youth that would be suited to the championship. I don't think we've got that many players. I mean, the obvious ones that would be sold would be St. Maxim and Almiron, Wilson. But I think you look at, the first time we were relegated under Mike Ashley, we went down with a mid-table Premier League side and we came back up. And, you know, I'm not taking anything away from, from Hewton. I just think that the, the squad that went down there were just streets ahead of everybody else in that league. And this, the time that we went down um, and Benitez was in charge, we had uh, almost like a custom-built promotion team based on the sales of Sissoko, Vinaldum, et cetera, et cetera, and, and Rafa Benitez in charge. If we go down this time, we've got a relegation candidate squad with a far worse manager. And I don't think that Bruce is, I mean, he, he had the most expensively assembled Aston Villa side and he could only get into the playoffs. It was He's not. He's not a good manager. He's. Okay. He's. Well, the, the, all right. Well, we'll all agree on that. But the um, the positive is that all three of us seem to think we're quibbling over whether it's playoffs or automatic promotion. So the positive. At least we'll see is, some wins if we're right. Yeah, that we. I think we all agree that we'll see more wins than we've seen this season. Should it happen? But we will see. And who knows whether Bruce will stay. Who knows? Uh, Rob Farkson says, which of our current squad would you most like to take over as player manager next February 
when we're fifth from bottom of the championship, there's a less optimistic man. And Bruce fucks off for that sweet, sweet Salford City coin. Um, okay, so yeah, which of our squad player manager? Um, there's no sort of like Andy Carroll would be an interesting shout. <laughs> okay, I wouldn't want to play. That, basically, that I want to play undeniable. I want to play a manager who's not going to play very often. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Lascelles um, would be your sort of. I could see Lascelles becoming a bit of a Steve Bruce style manager. Lascelles is all about passion, heart, passion, yeah. and all of that. Matt Ritchie, um, I think, would be a good shout. Just. He oh, just for the hates to lose. Yeah, no, just no, for the no, post-match no. press conference. It just, yeah. it just again, it's just like oh, we've lost another game. I, I just need to shout louder in my team talk. Not <laughs> to shout louder. I, th- I think you mean I just need to shout louder in my yeah. team talk. <laughs> Come yeah, on, show some yeah. respect. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say that. Who is? Who do we think? This is the question. Who in our squad? There's no way of knowing. Who do we think might be secretly uh, hiding an in-depth knowledge of tactics and hardcore leadership skills? Who's our player who is going to go on to be like, they're going to say, well, he had a very unremarkable career as a player, but now he's won three Champions League trophies. Who is that? Dave got a, a, a suggestion. Go on. Christian Atu. Christian Atu. Maybe. Who knows? This we, is the thing. Who I knows? Henri Saive. Henri Saive. Henri Saive. Could be. Like, there's no reason. It could be our. Henri Saive has had plenty of time to study the game. Exactly. He's had no football to distract him. He's been able to focus solely on, on the tactics. Exactly. It's, He's been able to observe all of the, um, everything that's gone, all of the mistakes that have been made, all of the, um, how each player responds to um, different things. Always yeah. like, hey, bring him in now, play a manager, great shout. The ones who I think would most likely become good managers, probably, I don't know why, Isaac Hayden and Federico Fernandez. Mm. I would also say Kieran Clark, but yeah. What was your other one? Kieran Clark. I just think the centre halves seem to, like in my head, based on nothing at all, I, I just believe that they'd make a better manager than a tricky winger. Steve Bruce. Yeah. I mean, one thing I'll say about having spoken about the, the Villa game, um, they. It's true that without Grealish and just in general, they are nowhere near as good a side as they were a few months ago. But I was still pretty impressed by their defence. Very well drilled by, one would assume, John Terry. Um, Although I was slightly less impressed with Tyrone Mings being beaten all ends up throughout the game by Joe Linton. That was one thing that was... On his birthday as well. Oh. Joe Linton's or Tyrone Mings? Tyrone Mings. Oh, I didn't get. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Thomas Burkan says, how many points do you, th- do you think will be enough to avoid relegation? And where do you think these those points will come from, given we still play four of the big six plus in form? And he's put big six in quotation marks there. Plus in form uh, Leicester and West Ham. I mean, it's a fair point. Yes, that we are in competition for relegation with teams who are also uh, on poor form. But, you know, a couple of... We've just played three games against sides who you would have hoped that at least one of them we would have got three points against. We've now got Brighton away coming up. Once you take that Brighton game out of the equation, you start to wonder where the points are going to come from. We've got Spurs at home. We've got Burnley away. You'd say that's a possibility, but, you know, is that a better opportunity? It's certainly, well, nothing is for us. I mean, Burnley away is, is, is that a better opportunity for three points than West Brom away and Sheffield United away? No. Um, West Ham at home, West Ham, they might be dropping off a little, but they're having a great season. That's one that I feel like we'll win, but I've got no reason for... Sure. I I hope you're right. We have beaten them once this season. They were a completely different side, but we have done well against West Ham a few times in the recent years. The thing is, it's all going to depend on Fulham, really, isn't it? Every... I've been looking at Fulham's fixtures about eight times a day at the minute, and I flip between thinking they they could get four more points or they could get fifteen more points. Sure, I mean that's the same with us, right? I mean we've got we've got Liverpool away, who, this, I mean this season that's a banker at the moment. The last couple of months, <laughs> yeah. that is like the easiest fixture in, fixture in European football is to play Liverpool away, but. Um, you would have thought they'll have turned that around by the time we face them. Fulham, they're, yes, they're playing a number of games that they should lose, but they look like a side to me at the moment who are more likely to win a game that they shouldn't than we do, if you see what I'm saying. But we do have players coming back. So, yeah. The positive about our form is that we've had our three best players out and not dropped, uh, not lost anything. But the problem is those players coming back, I mean, hopefully, I mean, we've got Brighton away. We don't think any of them will be back for that. Possibly Almiron might be, but not likely. And then we've got Spurs at home. That's after the international break, so we should have at least. Okay, so we'll, two yeah, the, the international break. So we're hoping after the international break, Spurs at home, we might have some big players back because then after Burnley away, we've got a string of games that no matter what our side, our, our lineup is, we've got West Ham, Liverpool, Arsenal, Leicester, and Man City. I mean, going on squad versus squad we should lose every one of those. But then going on squad versus squad, you'd say the same for like Brighton when they face Man U, Everton, Chelsea in the next three. You know what I mean? Like it's... Well, yeah, sure. It's, I, I get just, your I, point. No, yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm just saying that. So to answer the question of the thing, how, how many points to survive, I would say it's, it's not going to be 40-odd. It's going to be 38, 39. 
I don't agree with Paul saying that like it's it's like us or Fulham. I think to be honest, I think Brighton are because of their, their struggles to score goals, and if they then go on to like, I mean, they come up against, like I say, Man U, Everton, and Chelsea. If they lose all three of those, that will you know impact their confidence and yeah. all the rest of it. And and then you if if they lose those three and we can pick up like three or four points from the next three or three, four games, then you've got to say that Brighton are, are more likely to go down than, than us or Fulham. Um, so I'm just, I reckon it's going to take 39 points to survive and I can see us getting 39 points, um, like maybe a point from Tottenham, maybe a three from Burnley, a point against West Ham, three points against Sheffield, one point against Fulham. I could see us getting that. I, I think, I think they, you know the game I mean? against Brighton is, is huge. I think I mm. I do put it between us and Fulham. I, don't, I certainly don't discount Brighton, but I think of the three of us, they've got the biggest chance of survival. I, I think I just feel like they'll find a way. And I know that's because partly because they're the most recent side to win. But if we don't, uh, so we're about to play Brighton away. They've already beaten us this season. Of those three big games you've said they've got coming up, and one of them is against Everton, who are, as we have proven this season, are a very beatable side. Mm. Um, but uh, let's talk about this game against Brighton. If we win that, I, I can't. I, this is where I stand. I currently put us 50-50 chance of going down I'd say that's a lot more optimistic than most Newcastle fans have it but that's where I put us 50-50 if we lose to Brighton or even if we don't win against Brighton for me that jumps to a two out of three chance that we go down it depends on Fulham against Leeds as well I think like we can still lose to Brighton and stay up. That's not because we can. Out of the realms of possibility. No, I mean, it, I'm it saying depends like, how things click into gear when we are full strength again. Because when right. we're full strength again, I could I could look at those uh, those teams who are currently in form, like West Ham, Liverpool, uh, West Ham, Arsenal, Leicester, and by that point, they may not be in form. They might have lost a couple of players, and if we've got our best players back. I could see us beating Arsenal. I could see us beating West Ham. I could see us beating Leicester just because the when we, you've got to put yourself in that position rather than the position we're in now where the last three games we haven't played particularly well because we've been missing our top, you know, our top players. So I've got uh, another question here from uh, the other, the ever faithful Reverend Joe Kinsella. He says, um, "What's the most momentous NUFC goal you have ever seen? Not necessarily the best, the one that meant the most." Sorry, I should have allowed you to prepare for this question. Uh, he also says, uh, "What's the best goal you have ever scored yourself?" Mine was a four hundred yard, okay, twenty five yard volley into the top corner in a college game that meant nothing I mean, nice I don't have anything like that in my locker um, I think most momentous Newcastle goal I've ever seen even though it was underwhelming and a friendly was Shearer's first goal 
But so we're talking about in person. Yes, you saw yeah. it um, against Lincoln. Yeah. Jeez. I'd say that or the Rob Lee uh, FA Cup semi-final one. I'd say Shearer's um, record breaker against Portsmouth, um, mm. 206th goal. Um, or was it two? Anyway, the one where he broke Jackie Milburn's record, um, ball over the top, Amiobi back heels it, Shearer runs onto it, well, lumbers onto it really because his pace had completely gone. The whole Gallagher end, because it was at the Gallagher, the whole Wait, Gallagher Wait, you sat? This was in your season ticket holding years. Did you? Were you yeah. in the Gallagher, Dave? Yeah, sat next to my dad. And the whole Gallagher end, I've never heard like such a, like, you could feel the electricity as the ball got closer to the, the net. We were all praying for him to get it because there'd been a few games beforehand where he'd had opportunities and missed them. God, went the noise, like it's giving me like goosebumps just thinking about it. That was, yeah, it's something me and my dad still talk about to this day. Was That's that nice under Ruder as well? Now we're in, I, I feel like it was under Sunes, but I might be wrong. So, um, uh, my for me personally, in person, I mean, I'm I don't I'm not fortunate enough to be uh, like Dave, having I've been in a season ticket holder, but I, I did see uh, Ben Arthur's first goal for us against Everton away. I think another one that me and you were both at, one that me and you were both at, Fergus. Let's not forget Emmanuel Riviera. <laughs> Yeah, we did see Emmanuel Riviera at Palace away, right? Yeah. We did see Emmanuel Riviera score. We also were in the ground but didn't see Sammy Obi, Sammy Obi score. Yeah, against Spurs. Against Spurs. Was it? Oh, one of my most enjoyable was seeing was sitting with the Spurs fans on my own and seeing uh, Perez win it for us in injury time. Oh, lovely. That was enormously enjoyable. It was just, I really enjoyed it, just being amongst them. I just loved it. Right. Um, oh, yeah. And, and any particular goals that you've scored yourselves? I know no, you, like, neither of you had particularly impressive careers. No, um, like, no. No. Okay, yeah. I mean, I could tell some shit anecdotes, but no, I won't, I won't bore you with it. Okay, Andy Sheldon. I mean, that's not implying. That's not to me. I could to say that I've scored any good goals, but here we go. Andy Sheldon says, "Who do we need to replace Bruce with to ensure our survival? Given any new gaffer will be stuck with the same injury-riddled and unhappy squad." No one say Graham Jones. No one say Graham Jones. No one say Graham Jones. That's what I'm saying. I don't know if we necessarily do have an unhappy squad. And after watching the Villa game, you feel like someone like Harry Redknapp could come in and just say, put Dwight Gale up front, put Ryan <laughs> Fraser on the wing. Wow, that worked. <laughs> I don't think it takes rocket science at the minute. It is sort of true. I, I do feel like, didn't Venables do it? Like Leeds, I do feel like we yeah. brought, I don't, know, I don't think that went well. I do no, think we brought in Redknapp now. That would actually... Uh, <laughs> Probably I think that would work. End of the season. Harry Redknapp. 
just Graham yeah. Jones doing all the coaching, Harry Redknapp playing players in the position they've played for their careers. Harry Redknapp coming in with a bit of pizzazz, probably drinking probably. white wine from lunch onwards. Yeah, dressed like Frank Sinatra. I'd take it. Absolutely. Paul M says, uh, might we be celebrating getting to the Calzone Cup in a couple of years, passing the unwashed on the way? Do we think we're going to, are we candidates for a, a Sunderland style descent? No. We've discussed no. this in the last part, haven't we? No, the, the reason, I mean, the reason that they went down, they had a double relegation is because not only did they uh, um, have a, a pretty average manager um they sold their top goal scorers they like got rid of loads of the, the important players and they had like a pretty rotten core of players anyway um they consistently weakened their position throughout the years in the premier league so that's why they went down twice we'll be fine why are you two fucking laughing Actually, Not only you did on Fergus's screen, he put his laptop down and then started holding his chest. I, I thought he was having a heart attack, but not <laughs> saying anything to keep the pod going. I, I just, I just had some uh, indigestion. <laughs> trying to dis- disguise from the listeners. Um, John Tilly says, uh, "Do you guys remember when Ashley took Benitez and the squad to that Italian restaurant?" Do you, yes. do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, where do you think Bruce would be taking them now if he could? Needs a fireplace for Ashley, obviously. What what is Bruce's restaurant? And Greg's. Greg's. Yeah, I was say, do, do ginsters do cafes or restaurants? I feel like Bruce has enough sort of. I feel like he has ambition. You know, like a. He he wants to to be a classier man than he is. Do you know what I mean? This is this is a man who's written novels, <laughs> like which we genuinely if you all don't know that this has been well covered by other pe- people. But Steve Bruce has written literature. I think he's sort of he's the sort of person who will like take the squad through some windy streets to say I know a lovely little place trust me it's they do incredible and it they'll get there and it'll be a strada <laughs> yeah. yeah you know like Bella Italia yeah I think yeah. I think he'd do yeah. fish and chips by the sea or like lockdown park cans was it I think it was in the um the the West Brom game it was on Amazon and mm. Ali McCoyce was doing co-commentary and he was talking about what a great guy Sam Allardyce was. And he's like, we, we were on uh, pre-season in Australia and Sam Allardyce was with whatever club he was with. And uh, we met up for uh, a meal in Sydney. Oh, the things I could tell you about that night. Oh, it's just <laughs> like, it just, it was just like, you just, the impression he was given was just like, when you go out for a night with Sam Allardyce, you get so drunk. <laughs> that was the, the idea that all the, you know, they weren't players. They could drink and eat as much as they like. And if you go out with Sam Allardyce, oof, only the best red meat. The man drinks pints of wine, for God's sake. Exactly. 
I mean, I went through phases at university where you, you drank to excess, but I don't think I ever got to the pint of wine stage. Oh, you've not lived. <laughs> the question is, is do you drink, does he drink pints of wine at the same pace that you drink pints of beer, or has he just decided that that's the most efficient receptacle? Is it just he'll drink a pint <laughs> of wine over the course of an evening? Or does he have a tap? <laughs> just pulling pints of wine. Yeah. Couple of pints no. in the pub, then yeah. home, <laughs> then drive home. <laughs> All right. So um, let's. We've, we're kind of talking about the Brighton game. We've already played them once this season in what was a candidate for our, our worst performance, if not our biggest humiliation of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, it went defensively appalling. They beat us very early on. It was the performance that made everyone put uh, Lamptey into their fantasy football team and only to realise, no, he's good, but not as good. Still plays for Brighton. Not as good as Jamal Lewis's shit. Yeah. Um, The the positive will be that it would seem that Jamal Lewis won't be at left-back for that game. Yeah, and Lamptey won't be playing either. And that mm-hmm. might be playing either, but we we are de- yeah. I meant to say this before. We are destroying not only our own youth players, but Norwich's as well. Now. <laughs> Jacob Murphy and Jamal Lewis. Um, but yes, Brighton. Anything you want to say quickly about that? Any predictions? I think there are. Even though we seem to have a, they feel a bit like a bogey team, especially Brighton away is always shit, but. Have you seen how many home games they've won this season? How many is it, Paul? One. That's only one more home game at the Amex than I've won this season, <laughs> to put that into context. Wow. Um, Dave? Uh, I don't think we'll win, because I, I don't think there's going to be many goals in it. And I don't think we'll keep him out. I think it'll be 1-1. One, one. Okay, yeah. I mean, that which would make it four draws in a row for us. Mm. Do you think there'll be any change in the formation? Um, in the personnel, maybe, but not the formation and ethos, as you, you said a couple of parts ago. I think it'll be the same setup, roughly, but we might keep Gale in the centre and shuffle Fraser out to the the left side of that split striker thing. I think there might be a selection as well. I mean, I'd like to see Carroll get a start. That's the idea that Jacob Murphy might not start against Brighton is so absurd to me. I did, I did. I feel like he has to come in. I wouldn't be against Murphy and. Um, what's his name Ryan Fraser on the wings Carroll in the middle that makes sense that makes sense to me but I wouldn't be against I don't think you have to play a striker a lot of clubs don't play strikers anymore it's not I don't it's not that we've got if Wilson's still injured which he is it's not like we've got a striker who's guaranteed goals out there I don't don't feel like you yeah but I think if you've got Dwight Gale who is a poacher then it makes sense to play him rather than play yeah. somebody like 
Joe Linton, who doesn't score goals, uh, yeah. Ryan Fraser, who provides sure. assists. Give me yeah. whatever formation and whatever <laughs> selection that puts Jacob Murphy on the side, and I'll be happy. I mean, Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd have Murphy if, if for no other reason that he runs at players and provides crosses. I don't care if he's providing crosses and Joe Linton's chugging along at the halfway line and not there. It's still going to cause a bit of um, confusion. It's still going to be a threat. It might win us some corners. It, he might like have a dig and get it the right side of the bar. I don't know. I think he has to start. Yeah, I'd start. Go on. Sorry, Dave. I was just going to say, I'd even start my head of Fraser, to be honest. But, like, if, like, if, if you. First name on the team sheet. First name on the team. I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking. I, think, I think Brighton as well are me. very. Brighton are very susceptible to counter attacks. Do so you imagine Murphy and Fraser stretching their defence on a counter? You'd want Gale in the middle on that. I think there's no. Sure. Joe Linton can't start for me. I'd, I'd, I'd have. Willock, um, Fraser, Gale, and Murphy as like the attacking unit. And mm. I'd have, you know, Shelby, Hayden, and the rest of them at the back. And the idea is let them pass around. And then as soon as you get the ball, go hit the corners or drive through the middle, whichever it is. That's, that's what I would do. But then we got Steve Bruce in charge. So we'll start with Emil Kraft. We'll start with Joe Linton. We'll play Gale on the left flank and we'll play Andy Carroll on the right. I think we're going to have a very spawny 1-0 and Dubravka is going to have a very good game. You, you think we're going to win that one? Yeah, for no reason. Okay, well, I hope you're right. Um, I suppose I should predict something. I think 1-1. One, 1-1, one. One, one, I think, as well. I'm going to go 1-1. One, one. I don't remember what we predicted last week, but anyway, there we go. We, had, we all had draws, I think. Me and Dave mm. did. Okay. I think Dave yep. got it bang on. Okay. All right. Well, um, let's leave it there. The Zoom meeting is about to finish, so uh, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much, Paul Doolan. Thank you. Thank you, Dave Watson. Thanks, guys. And thank you to you, the Newcastle Natter listener. Goodbye. Thanks, Graham Jones. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.